uh, from time to time in Scripture, the Apostle Paul likes to use the example of an athlete for us to focus our attention on. And in 1 Corinthians 9 specifically, he actually uses in, in one section uh, two different athletes. He draws the attention of the church, he draws the attention of the reader uh, to both a runner and a boxer. And he, he draws his attention to these things, I believe, for a reason, that um, a runner, all of the effort and the time and the attention and the energy that they put into it, uh, has a goal and a purpose. Uh, the same with a boxer. I mean, how strange would it be this morning if I brought an example of a runner up here, and instead of them running with purpose towards a, a goal line or a destination, they just incessantly ran circles uh, over and over and over again up here on the platform. I'm, I'm sure after a while we would say, you know, you going to go anywhere with that, or are you just going to run in circles? Or, or a boxer, if a boxer was training and, and came up here this morning and just for an inordinate amount of time just flailed their arms around in the air all over the place, after a while we probably would ask the question, are you ever, ever going to hit anything? I mean, do you have a bag to hit? Or are you going to enter into any kind of a boxing with, a, with an opponent? Or are you just going to aimlessly uh, thrash the air? The Apostle Paul uses these athlete comparisons uh, for us to look at and to, and to examine. And, and the reason why I believe he does this uh, on a number of different occasions is because he realizes and knows that as humans, we have the tendency, if we're not careful, if we don't recalibrate, if we don't refocus, we have the tendency as humans to enter into our Christian lives and end up kind of aimless, uh, running in circles, uh, thrashing the air, and we either forget or we're never told or informed in the first place, what is the destination? What is the goal of being a Christian? Is it just to uh, get out of hell free card? Is it, is it just to settle my accounts with God and then live however I want? Or is there truly, does Scripture truly lay down for us a goal or a destination for our spiritual walk? I find the passage that the Apostle Paul gives us today, as we turn here in just a couple of moments, in Colossians chapter 1, it is one of these foundational texts. It's foundational because it's going to inform us as Christians, what is our ultimate goal? Yes, we live for the glory of God. Um, and yes, there, there are theological things we need to be aware of as far as our ultimate go, uh, goal is, is concerned. But as far as our efforts and our energies as Christians, how are we to be orienting and directing our lives? You know, as the Apostle Paul was using an example for a runner, everything that runner does, whether it be his diet, training, sleep habits, rearranging the schedule, it all funnels down to one goal. For the boxer, as they examine their opponent, as they do weight training, as they work on timing and hand coordination, all of those things funnel down to one goal, to, to win the boxing match, to, to beat their opponent. And the wonderful beauty of the passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at today, it's almost as if the Apostle Paul is funneling down 
all the way to a very simple verse. What is it that we as Christians are to be about? As a Christ follower, my, my days, my energy, my time, my resources, my thoughts, my attention, the direction of my life, where is it to be going? Where should I be putting all of this time and attention? So I've titled this morning's message, The Goal of All Christian Ministry. I mean this in a broad sense. I mean it in a very uh, limited and, and narrow sense. But all of Christian effort and energy, the things that we put our time and attention to, what is the goal of all of this? This passage we're going to be looking at this morning is, is, is very warm and personal. Uh, the Apostle Paul doesn't often do this, but he's going to give us some autobiographical content. He's going to use the word I a number of times. I do this, I do this, I'm doing this for this purpose. And then at the end, he gathers it all up and he says, so we all do this. We all do this so that we can do this. It's a very unique, but also very warm and personal passage we'll be looking at this morning. We get a little window, we just get a little glimpse into the motives of what drives the engine of the Apostle Paul. And maybe you've had that thought over the years as you study this New Testament author, was responsible for 13 of the letters of the New Testament. You know, he was shipwrecked and underwent quite a bit of just difficulty and struggle and affliction of his own. Boy, if we could just peek into the heart and the mind of the Apostle Paul and ask the question, what motivates you? What drives you to do what you do? And do you have a destination? Are you going somewhere? This passage this morning, pull back that curtain and show us exactly the motive behind the Apostle Paul and also the goal, not just for him, but as he wraps his arms around all of us and he uses this word, we, now here is what we are going to do. Normally, I'd let the text build up and answer this question of what is the goal of all Christian ministry. I'm going to give it straight out here this morning because it doesn't come till about five verses in of our six verses that we're going to be covering this morning. But it is simply this. It comes from Colossians 1.28. The Apostle Paul says this, Him we proclaim. Christ. We proclaim Him. Warning, admonishing, and teaching everyone so that everyone is presented mature in Jesus Christ. Boy, that is a, that is a tremendous thought, brothers and sisters. We proclaim all that we do centered around God's salvific work in Christ. Him we proclaim. We do this so that everyone, no one's left off. Everyone is presented mature. Some translations say perfect. Some translations say complete. It's this idea that in the Christian journey, we start out as a newborn baby, being born again of God by Christ. 
We start out as a newborn baby, just in the physical world is the same, and we grow up to adulthood and maturity in Jesus Christ. There is a destination. It should be that all of us are not only personally interested in growing up to adulthood, being mature in Christ, but that we collectively together are encouraging one another to be growing up and maturing into adulthood in Jesus Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul is going to tell us. All of our efforts, all of our ministry, our conversations, our friendships, our homes, our relationships, in Christ, we should be helping one another grow up into adulthood in Jesus Christ. He uses this word present, and we'll get to it in a little bit more depth here in just a moment, but I have this idea in mind. I have one daughter, and she's not married yet, um, but I imagine when this word present is used, this wedding scene where one day, Lord willing, I would walk her down an aisle and present her to her husband. That, that I wouldn't be presenting to him a, a two-year-old, a toddler. Hey, you're on your own. Good luck with this. But I would be having invested years and decades and hours of love and, and attention and resources and and all that I have to pour into her so that I would be able to, in a wonderful, glorious moment, present her mature, grown up, and ready. That, that's the idea when, when the Apostle Paul uses this word present that, that I have in mind when he says that we all would be in the process and that we all would be caught up in this ministry of Encouraging one another in their growth in Jesus Christ so that one day we present one another before the Lord mature. That's a beautiful picture, brothers and sisters. Let's get into our text here this morning. This is Colossians chapter 1. That's such a formative and foundational passage we'll be at here this morning. Here it is. The goal of all Christian ministry is to help people mature in Jesus Christ. For every children's worker, for every small group and Bible study leader, for every spouse, every friend, every parent, our efforts towards one another should be to help each other grow into adulthood and maturity in Jesus Christ. It's texts like this that we've been considering as elders this past year and looking at a mission statement that would just be locked in with scripture of what it is that we are to be about as a church and as a ministry. If you could go to that next slide, John, this is uh, maybe a little bit of a work in progress, but hopefully it's pretty well complete and polished insofar as this is grabbing scriptural truths and putting it together. What do we as elders desire for this body of believers here at Lexington Community Church? What mission should we be on together? We are a local gathering of God's redeemed people. That speaks to our identity. We are who we are because God grabbed our souls and regenerated us in Jesus Christ. We are a redeemed community walking together. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 
that God has called us unto himself. We are his possession, a people, so that we might, this is the second sentence, proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his light. We are a local gathering of God's redeemed people seeking to speak and proclaim and show God's excellencies revealed in his gospel. And then here the third line comes directly out of Colossians chapter 1 here, verses 28 and 29, for the making and maturing of disciples of Jesus Christ. This is exactly the mission that Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, is that they are to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, making disciples, making followers of Jesus Christ. And all of this, absolutely, the chief end of all of, all of our existence the chief end of why we were created, the chief end of why we were made, the chief end of why we were redeemed, the chief end of why Christ gave himself and bore in his body on that tree our sins so that he might bring us to God, the chief end of all of this, that we might be to the praise of his glory. This is God's design and for his glory. This is where we want to walk. This is the mission we want to be aligned in. This is what we want to take up as our joyful journey in this life. Let's move on to Colossians chapter 1. Let's get into this text here this morning. The goal of all Christian ministry. And I just want to circle around in this text, if, if you'll permit me to this morning, to just show all of the ways that the Apostle Paul is basically saying this. It, that mission is worth everything I have. And the first point we'll look at here is this. He says, it's worth our suffering to, to mature others in Jesus Christ is worth my suffering. I think the Apostle Paul would have no desire to have suffering for suffering's sake. Uh, just, just to have some uh, ideal of, of suffering. And none of us would desire suffering just to suffer. But insofar as the suffering and the things that we feel pinched and ground down in this life, insofar as that might bring about the maturity of someone else, the Apostle Paul said, I'm good with this. I'm okay with this. In fact, he's going to use this phrase, I rejoice in my sufferings. So as long as it's going to bring about the growth and the maturity of others around me as they watch my example, as they listen to my prayers, as they hear me still rejoicing in the Lord because of that. Let's look at verse 24. Paul writes this, and, and again, you'll see this is a very personal, autobiographical section of Scripture. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And that, that's the key phrase, for your sake. I don't rejoice in my sufferings just to rejoice. Not, I don't want to take suffering upon my shoulders just to, to do it. Do I have some kind of death wish here? I rejoice in my sufferings. And it's likely he's referring to his imprisonment at, at, at the minimum. And probably all of his collective sufferings as he's been a missionary for the gospel of Jesus Christ, collecting all of those together. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. You'll notice from this verse, he continues to say, for your sake. 
for the sake of the church. This is all others-oriented. When Paul looked out of his own eyesight, he, he didn't see himself. When he looked out of his eyes and, and out of his eyesight, he saw everything that he was doing for the sake of others, for the sake of the church, for the sake of Christ, for their betterment. He had a true deep love to grow them and to gather them and to present them before Christ mature, fully mature. We'll notice here in verse 24, first, that Paul can rejoice in his sufferings. He's not rejoicing for them. He's rejoicing in them. Why? It's for what they mean and what they can do for the sake of others. As long as our sufferings can contribute to the making and maturing of disciples, Paul says, I rejoice in them. I'll rejoice in them if they have a purpose and a meaning, especially to grow others in Christ. I just wonder this morning, brothers and sisters, do you see your difficulties do you see your sufferings in this light? Do you take up your hardships with this kind of goal? My eyes aren't on me and woe is me and these are my hardships and my sufferings. This is my cross to bear. But that our eyes would be on what this might be able to bring about for others. For my children watching how I suffer. For my friends who watch how we suffer. For our fellow church members and the community, watch how we suffer. Do we suffer differently because we know Christ and we know the end game? Do we suffer differently because we know it is but light momentary affliction that is here for a moment and then vanishes for the eternal weight of glory in heaven one day? Do we suffer differently? He says, I, I'm joyful in these. I rejoice in these for your sake. This makes it bearable. And if we go even so far as to the Apostle Paul here, it makes it rejoiceable. I don't even know if that's a word, but it's good. Rejoiceable. He's rejoicing. He's joyful. We notice secondly here, though, there's a curious phrase. I'm sure you noticed it in verse 24 where he says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's a curious phrase. At the surface, we might read this, and it might appear that Christ's sufferings were somehow deficient. Oh, what does this mean? Christ's sufferings need to be filled up. Was there something lesser or undercut or not quite to the full with them? So admittedly, it's a, it's a tough verse to understand. There's a couple of views throughout the years that have been presented of what this verse means. There was the original Catholic understanding that this teaches a person can build up a treasury of merits. And those merits can be contributed to other people for their salvation. Of course, we would reject that altogether. Uh, nothing um, else in Scripture would even give small, uh, lend itself, small creeds to that view. There's another popular view, though, that's probably been around since about the 1950s, that a certain quota of sufferings needed to be filled before the return of Christ. And so what Paul is saying is, you know, there's got to be 100 million sufferings or whatever the number would be, and my life is contributing to those sufferings so that once it hits the quota, Christ will come back. That was an, another view. But my view here in, is not related to either of those. It doesn't accomplish salvation. That's not what Paul is talking about. It's not ushering in the return of Christ. 
But rather, what the Apostle Paul is referring to here is that the continuing advancement of the gospel message only comes through suffering. Christ being off the scene, him having suffered once for all for the salvation of the saints, for for the salvation of sinners, once for all, having moved off of the scene, Paul is now advancing that gospel message. You see at the end of verse 25, he says, so that this can be fully known. He says, I'm filling this up so that it can be fully known across the earth. His sufferings contribute to the gospel message spreading to the ends of the earth. And I believe that's the view I would lean towards is that this this thing that is lacking is the word of God being fully known throughout the world. And the spread of the gospel only comes through suffering. And so Paul's rejoicing that he is continuing to advance the gospel message even through his suffering. You know, the gospel has never advanced simply through status quo. The gospel has never advanced through Christian comfort of Christians just sitting on their hands and saying, whatever will be, will be. The gospel advances into enemy territory through affliction and hardship and suffering. Just even mindful right now of the famous missionary that went to a, a tribe of cannibals. And he suffered many, many, many years bringing the gospel to that tribe. And it said that when he went there, There was only cannibals and no Christians after giving his life, decades of his life of affliction and suffering. It said that when he left, there were only Christians and no cannibals. But that is the life, the gospel message that is spread through hardship and affliction and suffering. So this goal, Paul gladly takes up and he views this as joyfully worth it because the gospel will be fully known and reaching the ends of the earth. Secondly, verse 25. The goal of ministry, of making and maturing disciples, the Apostle Paul would say here, it's worth our stewarding. It's not just worth our suffering, it's worth our stewarding. And look at verse 25. He says, of this, I became, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. Why was Paul a minister of the gospel? Why did he do the things that he did? It's because God gave him this task. God called him to it. And of this life purpose, Paul was convinced and he embraced this assignment and he saw himself as a steward of this assignment. To say it another way, Paul stewarded the goal of making and maturing disciples. He stewarded his life with that goal. What needs to be stewarded, we might ask? Well, we just take our life and look at it in its different facets. His time, his focus, his attention, his energy, his money, his resources, his gifts, his talents, his desires... All that God had given to him that we call life bound up there. He said, I am going to steward this for the sake of the gospel. That is stewardship. Basically, Paul's life was being oriented toward the spiritual growth of others. So, 
Again, a simple question here this morning, brothers and sisters. What does our lives of stewardship look like? What does your life of stewardship look like? Are you stewarding well the life and the calling that God has given you? This morning, maybe you just ask yourself a simple question. How am I stewarding my life to make others around me grow up to adulthood, to maturity in their Christian life? How am I stewarding all that I have to do that? Is this the goal of all of my relationships? This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. I'm stewarding this calling that God has given to me. We're seeing and reading from Scripture here this morning, brothers and sisters, that our calling is to mature and make disciples of those around us. How can we be stewarding our lives so that this is taking place? Thirdly, verses 26 through 28, the goal of ministry in the making and the maturing of disciples, it's worth our speaking. It's worth our speaking. I know that's a pretty general, uh, broad, uh, descriptive a term there, but you'll see what the Apostle Paul is going to mean by this in these next few verses. The things that he says, uh, the things that he shares, uh, the things that he speaks, whether it be truth or correction or instruction or teaching, his words are stewarded in such a way to help others grow up in maturity in Jesus Christ. Look with me at verses 26, 27, and 28. He says, the stewardship, this is the end of verse 25, the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. In verse 26, the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now he revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. What a great phrase. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. To accomplish the goal of seeing others mature in Christ, Paul says he speaks. He speaks. He speaks the word of God, verse 25. He speaks the revealed mystery, verse 26. This mystery was that in prior times this had not been revealed, but now God has disclosed it in his unfolding revelation of all that he's doing on this earth and all that he's doing for eternity and all time, that Jesus has taken up personal residence in all peoples of the world. This is not simply something to the Jewish people. This is something globally, this mystery that God has revealed that salvation is for the Gentiles. And not only that, that Christ himself would take up residence inside of you. There would be a new birth. You would come about as a new person because of the work that Jesus Christ has done in your heart. Verse 27, he speaks of the hope of future glory that we have in Jesus. This is it, Christ in you, the hope of eternal glory. Say, man, this life here is hard. Yep. Man, this life sometimes just gets me down and it bears a burden on my shoulders. Yes. And sometimes this life, I don't even want to get out of bed and face what's ahead of me in the day. Yes. But we do. 
we do get up. We do pray. We do praise. We do sing joyfully. Why? Because of the hope of future glory. If this is all that life has for us, brothers and sisters, we would be of all people's most miserable. Every pinch that we feel on this earth, every pinch that we feel in this life should remind us this is not all there is. This is not our best life now. Sorry, Joel Osteen. This is not our best life now. I don't want this best life for now. I want something better. And Christ has promised it. And he said, this is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Eternally, you will be resurrected. You will have new bodies and a new soul, no longer to sin, to be in fellowship with God's people for all time and in perfect harmony with him forevermore. That is the hope that we have. The rest of this we feel on this earth should just be reminders that we're not there yet. We are striving for that goal. Paul said, this is the hope. It's worth my speaking about this, that Christ is in you and that gives you hope, this hope of glory, the hope that one day it will be better. We will be resurrected with our Lord. In a nutshell, verse 28, Paul says this. This is what I speak in a nutshell. Jesus Christ. Paul proclaims Jesus Christ. Christ. Really, really, if you want a one-verse summary of the task of the Christian, here it is. Colossians 1.28. You want a one-verse summary? It's right here. Him we proclaim. Him we speak about. Him we joy about. Him we delight in. Him we sing about. We proclaim him, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Jesus is preached, Jesus is proclaimed, and that is done with warning and instruction and all wisdom. That is what Paul says, it is worth my words, it is worth spending my words, this is what I speak about. The goal of Christian ministry is to exalt Christ, is to, as John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. It is to shine the light on our Savior, Jesus Christ. He says this at times, takes the shape of warning. Him we proclaim, warning, meaning that there are times when our words need to be used to correct or admonish someone. This is helping them grow into adulthood in their Christianity. At times, that will be a warning. We do this because we love them. We do this because we want to see them heading towards Christ-likeness, not unchristlikeness. We don't want to see them falling back towards immaturity, but pulling them up towards maturity. He said this also takes the shape at times of teaching, meaning that there are times when our words need to be used to instruct or remind someone of what is true, especially at times when we're just caught in, it seems, a circular pattern in our mind of believing or thinking something that's untrue. We need a fellow Christian to come along and say, hey, here's what Scripture says. Here's what the Lord says. That, that, that's not true. Listen to this truth. So there is instruction and teaching we do this. We tell people what is right. We tell them what is to be valued. Again, we do this because we love them and we desire growth in Jesus Christ. And then we do all of this with wisdom. So what that means is, the Apostle Paul is saying, we, we need to discern the situation of when it might need warning and when it might need teaching and when it might need prayer. We don't have to go and say in every situation, in every context in a conversation that we get in is, oh, I need to warn you and admonish you. I need to warn and teach. No, we do this in all wisdom. 
so that it would be proper for the situation. It would be fitting to put balm on the soul of another person as we talk with them. We do this, it says. Did you notice the switch of pronouns? Paul went from I, he's talking about I in verse 24, I rejoice, I rejoice, I do this, which I became a minister, I'm filling up, this is what's happening, my sufferings. Verse 28, don't miss this, him we proclaim. He's not saying this is my job and you all just sit and watch. He's not saying this is a one-man show. We proclaim. He's at least talking about his team of fellow gospel workers, but let's be honest, this includes everyone, all Christians. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, and, and, and just think of this with me for a moment, brothers and sisters, that we may present Everyone mature in Christ. We do this. We as a church, Lexington Community Church, we have the privilege and we have the responsibility to make presentation to the Lord that our lives look like disciples of Jesus Christ. That our lives took up this task to make and mature disciples. Everyone means this is the goal for every last person in the church. Christian maturity is God's desire for every Christian. Continual Christian growth is God's desire for everyone. This is for everyone, that we, everyone, helps we, everyone, so that everyone who is here is everyone. If you get the idea, it's everyone. We should be maturing in Jesus Christ. Growth, and we're helping one another do this. This is the goal of gospel ministry. This is the goal of the Christian life. God's design is not casual, superficial Christianity. His design is for serious, careful maturity and growth in Jesus. This is why we cherish the word. This is why we study the scriptures. We want to be meticulous. We want to be careful. We want to lean in and listen to what God says. We're not just about this Life flippantly, casually, superficially living. We have a purpose, brothers and sisters. God bought us with a price of Christ so that we become soldiers for him. We become mature Christians grown up, ready to be presented. Lastly, verse 29, we can't end there. We've got to go to verse 29 because you say, man, I'm, I'm tired just listening. Of all, what, how in the world am I going to do this? This is a lot. This is a lot on my shoulders to, bur- to, to, to carry a, a, a large burden. The apostle Paul would say, I agree. I agree with you. And so we don't do this in our own strength. Look with me at verse 29. He would also say it is this. It is worth our struggle. This mission, this goal of Christian, the Christian life and Christian ministry is a struggle, but it is worth the struggle. Verse 29, and then we'll be done. For this I toil. It's a good word. We probably don't use that word very often, but it's a great word. I toil, struggling with all 
his energy that he powerfully works within me. So that goal, verse 28, we proclaim him that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And he says, this is going to take an otherworldly energy, an otherworldly ability that I don't have, but God supplies it. He gives it to us. Paul is being very transparent here. He's openly confessing that he labors, he toils to the point of exhaustion. So this verse is saying, he's doing this and he's exhausted. He agonizes. It's like this word agony. I'm, 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 I'm falling in the bed tired at the end of the day because of this ministry that I'm involved in. With everything he has, he's giving it for the purpose of seeing others grow. I just wonder if you feel the weight of this verse in any of your contexts. Parents, do you feel the weight of this verse with your children? Trying to bring them up, maturity of the Lord, and I'm tired, exhausted. It feels like agony sometimes. Don't say that to your kid. You can, we can do that here. We can talk like that. Parents, do you labor to the point of exhaustion to see your kids following Jesus well? Here's our help. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the energy to keep going. Friend, do you feel this with someone close to you in your life? Do you feel this with a family member? Do you feel this with a coworker? Do you feel this weight of laboring and exhaustion to the point of, I don't know if I can keep going and doing this. I'm, wait, I'm, I'm ready to shut down. Listen, the lived out Christian life is not for the lazy. And it's not for the faint of heart. It is for those who are willing to toil. It is those who are willing to struggle. It is those who are willing to expend their energy to see others grow in Christ. But here is the wonderful key. It doesn't have to come from you. You fall on your face in need and rise in strength because of the God who gives you his energy to do it. That's what Paul says. I toil, I struggle, I'm at the end of my rope, I'm falling down exhausted, but I keep going because this is with all his energy that he powerfully works within me so I can do it. What a great ministry that is. We'll work, we'll minister, we'll proclaim, we'll pray, we'll speak. We'll ask God to help us in our sufferings to suffer well for the maturing of others around us. And we do it all with the strength that God gives us. The encouraging part of this is as we look to God, our energy to do all of this will never run out he puts this energy in us, and he works it out of us. We simply but call on him and say, Lord, help me. I can't do another day like this. And guess what? His mercies are new every morning, and his energy comes to us, and he rises us out of bed, and he pushes us forward so that his energy that is in us, and his power that is in us works out of us to keep it going. One of my favorite ministry quotes comes from Charles Spurgeon. People asked him if he was ever tired in the ministry. He said, I'm tired in the ministry, but I'm never tired of the ministry. He said, I'm weary in it, but not weary of it because it's Christ who works in me to keep going. This ability comes straight from God. 
who powerfully works so that we keep up this goal. It's worth suffering. It's worth stewarding. It's worth speaking. It's worth struggling. Brothers and sisters, let's close with this. Verse 28. We proclaim him, a person, not a checklist of guidelines, not a human uh, set of rules, not a religion. We proclaim him, a living, resurrected Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. We proclaim him. We proclaim him. We do this. It shouldn't just come from the pulpit. It should come in all of our relationships together. We together proclaim him so that we might present one another mature, fully grown adult Christians in Jesus. The apostle Paul would say this, it's worth everything he has. Might we also say that same thing for God's glory, for the good of his church, presenting others mature in Jesus Christ is worth everything we have. Let's close our time this morning in prayer. Lord, we would buckle under the weight of a passage like this were it not for your promise that you empower us to do it. Lord, thank you for calling us to such a rewarding ministry. Thank you for allowing us the privilege to not only be redeemed and have a new heart with new desires and new direction, but also to be able to partake of a ministry. Lord, would you help us as a church? Help moms and dads as the head of the home. Help all of us collectively together to keep this goal in mind to be calibrated for the first time, if that's what it takes today, or recalibrated if we're just off a couple of ticks. But Lord, help us to remember the goal of all of Christian ministry that is to proclaim your son, Jesus Christ, dying on a cross, buried, but rising again for our life and our forgiveness and our joy for all of eternity. May we be about this business, Lord. Help us in the coming year to keep the Christian ministry with this goal in mind. It's in Christ's name we pray these things, amen.